Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Welcome to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. Again, I'm here with Yusip Roine. What is up? Hello, nice to be here again. I think this is episode 16 that we're doing now. Oh yeah, it's time flies. One time fl- episode every week and we're yep. already at 16. Time flies when having fun. So so what's up for me? Um, so I think I mentioned this, this perhaps 10 episodes ago. I started going to the gym, like like not go and do something, but focus on when I'm going, what I'm doing there, and what results do I want to get by spending 55 minutes at the gym three times a week. So I, I do about three hours a week plus warm-up on top of this. And, and I started doing that in, in late October 2019. And now it's about three, four months later. And I set myself three goals. And, and yesterday I went to the gym. I meet with my PT, my personal trainer, once a week. And that's, that's, the, that's the heaviest training that we do because he likes to push me to the limits. And I, I did two personal records during the same day. And those two records were two out of three in my total list of goals. So now I need new goals or they, might, they, they need to be harder or more challenging goals. But I'm super happy because I'm seeing progress and it's still fun at the same time. So that's probably kind of the top of mind but the other thing also and and i know you're going to like this because you're you're from sweden and i trust all of your furniture is from ikea uh, i started uh, my new ikea project so what i'm doing i i purchased an alex cabinet so it's it's this 70 centimeters i don't know how many feet that is probably 27 feet um tall file cabinet that you can purchase and what i'll do is I'll retrofit that to be my hardware rack. So I need to build the, uh, the ventilation. I got uh, a five volt fan that powers through USB. I need to do all the wiring and all that stuff. But the end result means that I can push all of my hardware, my switches, my firewalls, my access points, whatnot, everything in the cabinet, and it will be neatly away from my table where it's where now. So those two things, besides everything else, those are kind of top of mind for me. How about for you? So IKEA hacking and body hacking. Yes. All right, cool. So for me, um, you know, I've, I've realized I have a great work-life balance where, you know, the, the days are intense, but very well planned. And that means I get to spend a lot of time with the family and, and friends afterwards. And one thing that I think I also mentioned in a past episode is we're going hiking in the woods when it's dark. Yeah, so, I remember because we you know, it's always that. dark here. So <laughs> uh, when, when we go hiking, we have this, this light on the forehead and we just go out and, and we can see deer and, and different types of animals. And if we're unlucky, we'll you know, stumble into a wild boar. Uh, hopefully not. But now the coming weekend, we'll be sleeping outdoors in the Swedish winter without a tent. So just a sleeping wow. bag with a kind of a wind, I don't know how you call these, like a, a wind protected log kind of cabin, whatever. There's yep. walls uh, oh, yeah, yeah, sides, yeah. but an opening. So kind of like a cave opening, but made out of yep. wood. Yeah. I don't know what the English word for that is. Um, and in, in Swedish, it's Yeah. Um So we'll be sleeping in that. And it's 
around zero degrees Celsius right now. So it's pretty cold. And that's the comfort temperature of my sleeping bag. So if it goes below that, I might not make it to the next episode. <laughs> so, I, so I really hope that it stays around the temperature it is now. And you're, planning, is cool, so. and you're planning to do the, the sleepover outside this coming weekend. Yeah. So the, okay. the, coming, the coming weekend and uh, what we'll be, be doing is first we go for a day hike of 20 kilometers or 30 kilometers. So it's wow. a pretty long hike with, you know, all equipment and everything that we need to, to survive. I have a storm kitchen uh, with some gas so we can actually cook food and, and make breakfast and, of course, coffee. Of course. Uh, because you don't bring, you know, that ready-made coffee. You have to make your own coffee. And I have coffee beans and I will grind them and anything. Anyway, that's a, I like coffee. Uh, and I like it fresh. So there's a lot of equipment to carry on. But yeah, this is but a, a fun project for me. Sounds fun. And I trust you'll bring your iPad and your laptop as well. None of that stuff. It's going to be 100% analog. Uh, I will have my phone with me, but in flight mode. Because if we do get lost in the middle of the night in a forest we've never been, it might be good to uh, see if we can get a GPS. <laughs> yeah. So what we could do, though, we could maybe record maybe 27 episodes before you leave, just in case you know something happens. Yeah, might take some time before I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. All righty, anything else? Life is good? Life is very good. Uh, and it's even better now because I'm going to learn about migrating SQL Server databases to Azure SQL. Yes. One so I'm going to try and pick your brain on this topic. Yes, one of, one of my favorite topics besides everything else in, in Azure. So I came up, up with this topic because I was, I was helping a couple of customers a few months back before I joined Microsoft, uh, I was helping them in figuring out what to do next with their on-premises SQL databases. And, and typically, without, without going into too many details on a specific customer, but typically what I see is that plenty of companies are hosting their, their, their SQL servers locally in a virtual machines, and they have one to, to too many databases that they feel that perhaps we might need this in the future, but there's often an application that's utilizing that database. So you cannot simply just pick up the database and say, let's do something fun with the data and make this more fancier and push this into the cloud because often the application or some sort of logic that's connected with the database is not perhaps supporting it or we don't have source codes or something else. Mm -hmm. So it's more or less we need to migrate away perhaps from a SQL Server 2008 to something else that will buy us more time or open up the, the opportunity for the future when we have more time to focus on this. So that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from, from a couple of my recent projects with SQL Server and Azure SQL. And, and when you run SQL Server, what do you usually see people run them on? You mentioned you run them on virtual machines, and I've seen this, and I've also done this a lot in, in, the, in my past days. How do you see people run uh, SQL servers today? What's, what's the options for specifically a SQL server? Where can you put it? It's, it's, it's been at least three years since I last had a, had a meaningful, deep discussion with somebody about running SQL Server on bare metal as opposed to in a, in a virtual machine. So nowadays with SQL Server, you can run that in a, in a Docker container on top of Linux and of course on top of Windows. So by far running SQL on a Windows-based VM on Hyper-V or VMware 
that's the thing. That's the traditional approach. And mm-hmm. unless there's an urging need to do something else, then by all means do something else. But but the de facto standard and, and all guidance points to Windows Server, maybe 2016, might even be 2019, with a fairly recent version of SQL Server. So I'm, I'm delighted that I don't have to witness too many SQL 2008s anymore. But 2012, 2014, 2016, those are the, the ones that I see most often. And on a rare occasion, of course, SQL 2019 as well. So I, I, I would say virtual machine and SQL, they go hand in hand now. Right. So you mentioned also running SQL Server on Docker. And I remember when this was announced way back when, uh, but I didn't really have any chance to explore or, or work with that. Do you have any experience with what it's like? So is it putting like the database files on a storage and then the Docker container is the operating environment for the database engine, if you will? It, it more or less is like this. So when they announced the Docker support, they also announced the Linux support. So what I did first, I, I spun up an Ubuntu uh, VM locally in one of my servers. And I, I went through the whole installation and setup for having SQL Server run. It, it took a while because there's, there's plenty of packages you need to add and plenty of things to configure and, 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 and use, as we say in Finnish, you use a knife to, to wiggle your way through things that seem problematic. And, and once I got that up and running, I think it took me like two evenings just to configure the base things. Then I essentially had nothing. I, I had a Linux with shell open and, and a service, a, a, a daemon service running. And then I would go back to SQL Management Studio and would connect with that Linux-based thing, and it would look exactly the same as a Windows SQL server. Right. So in that sense, I, I couldn't find a huge benefit unless, of course, I invested more in Linux. But for Docker, I didn't go through the installation. I, I had a quick peek at the installation. Okay, looks more or less the same. So I, I can recite that from memory, but that's, that's more like being a PowerPoint consultant. I can tell how it should be, but I couldn't do it by heart. Right. Oh, that's fair enough. So... You mentioned also like legacy applications might have a requirement on databases. And this is one, uh, one reason why you might want to move from your current on-prem environments to something else, or even just upgrade them to a new version um, on-prem, if you, if you will. Um, but let, let's broaden that discussion a bit. Why, if you don't have that dependency on a um, legacy project, if you will, and you have a lot of data and, and you want to build something new or make something new out of it, why would you select SQL Server today as opposed to any of the more kind of serverless um, type of environments that exist like storage accounts or NoSQL databases, PostgreSQL, MongoDB? There's a plethora of options available that you can also run in Azure. Uh, what makes SQL Server stick out or what, what's like the main use cases from from your angle and your experience, why you want to use SQL Server? For, for me, often the main use case is that there's already a, a predefined schema, a predefined structure for a database or, or a bunch of databases that are aligned for SQL Server or Azure SQL, the, the thing that runs in the cloud. And if you have that up and running and all the work has been done, and traditionally, when you look at these databases, they have a lot of historical data. So you might have like a snapshot from each year in history and then the current year in production that you actually update and the other ones are read-only. And, and once you have 20 years of history in a database, 
there there has to be a really good reason and 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 some sort of a business driver why do we go through this 20 years of data and and try to re-architect this to something else that we might not be sure is is the technology for us for now so uh, a few times I've, I've needed to migrate a sql server database to something else so that could be azure table storage and once it was also cosmos db and on that occasion we ended up exporting everything to csv files because we knew we would lose a lot of things like the relations and and bunch of the indexes and, and what have you. And then it would be easier to just get the raw data, push that to Cosmos DB and, and plan that on the fly, how we want our future application to utilize that data as opposed to how the, how the legacy application was built using the data in SQL Server. All right. So if you go to Azure now with your SQL Server, so you, you make a decision, let's take whatever we have, let's keep the schemas, let's keep the the database structure and the data intact and not make any application changes or other changes, but we just want to run it in the, in the cloud so we don't have to deal with the hardware and maintenance. Um, what kind of tiers are available? Because as with all the services in Azure, you have different tiers. You can select different pricing models or hosting models. And when it comes to Azure SQL, what options do you have? So for Azure SQL, traditionally, you, you've had this transaction-based service tier, so DTU, based service tiers and the DTU is a unit that tries to mimic and follow a physical characteristic of a real SQL server running on bare metal. So the more DTUs you have, the more performance you have, but this simulates a real world, real world database workload, but not a specific workload. So if you know you have a specific workload that we're analyzing this sort of data, then you need to measure what sort of DTU uh, level is suitable for you because the pricing differs based on how many DTUs you have. So there's two models. There's the DTU model and then there's the vCore model. So the vCore, virtual core, is based on the number of virtual CPU cores you get at your disposal. And the DTU is more of a platform as a service that whatever you do, you don't really care about the... the the CPU cores in that sense, but you know that that your application exposes this sort of this sort of uh, utilization against the database. So I might want to do twenty DTUs or fifty or ten, and depending on that, you can also scale that in 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 real time. Meaning that on Saturdays we switch to ten, and then on Monday when everybody's back at the office we switch to fifty because we need more as opposed to the vCore. So to make this a little bit more complex, the vCore model is, is then divided in service tiers and compute tiers. So service tiers uh, have a general purpose tier, a business critical tier, and hyperscale tier. And the compute tiers have a provisioned compute where you pay per hour. So that this is as close to a traditional VM that you can have. So vCore model with compute means uh, with the provisioned compute, it means that I want to have this sort of a VM running my thing. And vCore model with compute tier using serverless compute is auto-scaling. So that's more closely aligned to Azure Functions or App Service 
where you say, I'm running this sort of thing, it just needs to scale and I pay per second. So there is this serverless option even for SQL Server in the cloud now? Yes. So Microsoft manages everything for you. You still get access with SQL Server Management Studio or other tools and APIs, but you don't really care about what sort of vCores or what, what sort of CPU cores we have. And if you don't really know if you want the provisioned compute or serverless compute, you also have the service tier. So that would be the general purpose, business critical and hyperscale. And the GP, the general purpose is, I have a bunch of databases, I need to run this, so let's go with GP. Business critical, as the name, name suggests, is this is critical, it needs to run. And hyperscale is more aligned on, I've got this 57 terabyte database and the backups need to be lightning quick and I need amazing performance. Let's go with hyperscale then. Right. So, so hyperscale is a lot of data, uh, better backups, you know, things like that. It's just generally a higher performance or what is behind the name hyperscale? Uh, the scalability, meaning that you don't need to worry about how many nodes I have, or is it active, passive, or, or, or all the old things you would build in on-prem. And I, I've spent too many sleepless nights and, and too many weekends working on doing these active, passive clusters with SQL on-prem way back when. Um, and to, to maybe make this a little bit more complex still is that both with the DTU-based service tiers, which are available in basic, standard, and premium, and the vCore model, which was available in service tiers, the GP Business Critical and Hyperscale, and compute tiers as provisioned or serverless. So a bunch of options to choose from. So these are then divided into what sort of way, what, what sort, of, sort of service are you planning on, 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 on running? So you have a single database that's available in DTU, as well as in vCore. So this is the, the easiest one. And I always start with this. I provision a single database and I will set the lowest DTU available because that won't cost me much. And then when I start pushing data to the, to the, to the database in the cloud, I then see that, okay, my DTUs are, are hitting the limitation. I can scale it. If it's a vCore model, then initially, uh, with the vCore, I, I might go with the general purpose or with the serverless if I know I, I'm going to scale. So single database, that's, that's the easiest. The next one is elastic pools, meaning that you have a bunch of databases, let's say 10, but you don't want to individually manage those because they might, at times, they might require, require more DTUs or more performant vCores, and at times they do nothing. So with the elastic pools, you, you, you cluster together a bunch of databases. And if one database is not doing anything, it can free up the capacity from the whole pool to other databases in the same pool. So you kind of share the capacity between your 10 or what, what have you databases. And for elastic pools, you can define DTU or vCore, but you cannot have both. So once you select one, that's where you're, you, you will stay with that instance. All right. So that's a lot of options. It's a lot of options. And, and back when I started in Azure SQL, we only had the DTU one, and it was available in basic, standard, and premium. That was super easy. And so then, how, do you, how do you make a decision today when, when I listen to this, I realize I have all the options in the world. 
how do I know what option fits my purpose? This this can be answered with the best answer ever. It depends. It depends. Yeah. It depends. <laughs> yes, and and case closed. But but in all honesty, I start with my tests often with the DTU model because typically that that is uh, it costs me less to test things, and and one of the things that I always have in in the back of my head is is that when I visit a customer, we might have a full day workshop, and we eventually come to a conclusion that okay, let's start the migration of this 27 gigabyte database uh, and that will take about seven hours and then we'll see how it went the whole migration and we start that migration at, at, at four o'clock in the afternoon because everybody stops working at 4 p.m in finland uh, so that we can we can join the, the traffic uh, and then next morning i will visit the customer again and then we'll see okay the migration completed successfully now we can start testing things against the cheapest dtu based database but we can scale it dynamically oh it seems to be a bit slow let me scale it quickly because it won't cost that much and then i'll see immediately that things are speeding up that's 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 one approach the other one is that i would model the the typical usage patterns against the database there's a, there's a tool called the Data Migration Assistant that allows me to test what sort of queries am I hitting the database with. And that gives me a recommendation. Oh, okay, perhaps you might want to go with vCore, Business Critical, or Elastic Pool, uh, DTU-based. So in, in that sense, I wouldn't say that there's a single easy answer here. It's more of test, plan, Check against the cost, check against if you need auto-scaling or not. How much do you want to just have one slider for DTU? Or do you want to define the VMs behind those instances that will run your databases? Yeah, it's a lot of options, a lot of variables. It depends. It's a, it's a good answer. It covers your basis. Um, but it, it's good because everything is documented. So it, when you know your use case, you can also figure out what you need. Um, so... We talked a little bit about what options there are, what tiers, you know, what, what different models you can, you can put your SQL Server in, but let's assume you know that you are gonna run this on a single database with DTU or whatever you decide. When you've made that decision, how do you actually get the data there? Like, how do you migrate to the cloud? Because in, in the end, if we disregard from the different tiers and whatever, what's gonna be important is to get whatever data you have up and running in the cloud seamlessly so what kind of tools and approaches do you have for making this happen so i started my sql server journey back when sql 6.5 was available i think this was 1998 or so um, and even then if i wanted to do a backup of my database and you would often have to do backups before you test something in case it fails then you can restore it uh, I would back up to a binary file, so it, it would be a BAK a back file. And my hope and wish when Azure SQL came out was that I could simply back up something, copy that backup file to Azure Storage, and point Azure SQL during provisioning, point to that backup, that, that physical binary file, and say, please take this file and whatever is in there and spin it up for me. Mm-hmm. But that's not supported. Just to make this clear, the easy way is out, and and Damn we it. need to come <laughs> and, and we need to come out with something more complex. Yeah. So in my mind, it was 
just right click the SQL server on prem and then you know right click in the cloud and say get the data there. Yeah, but and I'm done. It's never that easy. And 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 I'm I'm not deeply invested in figuring out why it's not supported. Possibly, I would I would imagine you have your local identities typically on a, on a Windows NT or Active Directory domain, and those users and permissions and roles and whatnot are mapped to local identities that have unique IDs. And now, if you if you push that to the cloud, it probably wouldn't be able to map those back to to Azure AD identities. So that's that's one problem. And the other one is that Azure Azure SQL doesn't support all of the exact same features as SQL Server does. Even though when you run a database in the cloud, it has parity with the version you run locally, but it doesn't mean all the features are available. Mm, all right. So the next option that actually works is to right-click on your database using SQL Management Studio and, and create a DAC pack file, so DAC-PAC file, there's probably a, a really fancy name for this, but it's a DACPAC file. And this creates a package of your database along with some necessary settings. And then you can push that to the cloud, connect with an Azure SQL instance and say, I do have this and I'd like this to be instantiated in the cloud with this and this settings. Uh, and <clears throat> I, I would perhaps advise starting with this one. And with one of my customers, we couldn't use this because when we were creating the file, SQL Management Studio gave, gave out an error saying that, well, you have this and this sort of things that are not supported in, in Azure SQL as is. So we cannot push those in the package, package for now. So right. then, then Microsoft uh, came out, I think this was some time ago already, uh, uh, a free tool called Data Migration Assistant. And this is a great tool. It's modern enough, so it, it looks fresh. And it allows you to analyze a local database, connect with Azure SQL and say, I want this database to be found from the cloud. Please do whatever you need to make it happen. So it's kind of pretty much stream over the content, like if you were to use a migration tool for any other type of service where you go from point, point A to point B. Yeah. Select the source, select the destination, and it handles the, the data transfer. Yeah. And, and what I often do is before I started with the data migration, I, I often, if possible, and this is not always, always, always possible, but if possible, I shut down the virtual machine locally and, and, and crank it up with, with, with CPU and RAM as much as possible and make sure the storage is fast enough. Then when I start the migration, I hop to Azure Portal and I'm actually looking at the metrics of the database because it shows me the DTU utilization. And when I see that the, the DMA, the Data Migration Assistant, is starting to really push content through, I can quickly slide the DTU slider to give me more performance in the cloud. That way, for larger databases, it goes faster. Mm. And, and I could yep. see, even with a 5 gig database with lots of rows, I could see a huge uh, benefit in speeding this up because I could sit down with a customer and say, let's slide this for a brief moment, it will cost us a little bit more, but we did a quick calculation that the cost would be 10 euro. So to save five hours of our mutual time, let's slide this up, start the migration, and we'll be done in 15 minutes, then we'll slide it back, back down again. Mm -hmm. So we saved everybody's time when we could get, get the scalability from the cloud. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Yeah. So uh, sometimes when you run DMA, it might complain that, oh, you have this sort of clustered index with this and this setting. So this is not supported. Perhaps consider dropping those. But obviously, since you're moving a source database, you don't want to mess with anything in there in case it might break with your Delete whatever doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> this doesn't migrate. Just delete it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just drop that the rows. Drop the table and we don't need that anymore. And this is often a problem with, with stored procedures or if, if there's some sort of custom functions that might not be supported in the cloud. So the next option is to just leave the data and bring the structure so you can export the schema of the database to a script. And then you connect using SQL Management Studio, you connect with Azure SQL, you rerun the script and it provisions the database for you. But then again, it's empty. But if you only need to get the structure, then getting the script is the easiest way. All right, fair enough. And, and one more, one more. And I do realize there's plenty of options, but that's, that's why I like it because SQL Server has been around for so long that there's always an option if something is not working out. The last option is the traditional one. And I, I still seem to be using this a couple of times a year when I do migrations, is I'll replicate. So uh, on the local SQL Server, you need to have the replication engine installed. It's often is default uh, installed by default, but in case it isn't, you need to install that first. And this gives you uh, the replication engine and, and it gives you a couple of different ways. You can do a snapshot, uh, you can do a transactional uh, migration and a replication. And, and I think there was one more that, that I failed to recall now. Um, and with this, what you'll do is you're actually advertising your database locally that I am replicating this database. Whatever happens in the source database, I will replicate it to this database. And then that replica can be pushed to a destination SQL database. And that can be an Azure SQL one. And the beauty of this is that you can keep the source SQL as is, but start replicating stuff to the cloud. And then you can test with whatever new things you have against the database in the cloud without worrying about the source because that remains and it yeah. still works. So, so when you figure out that, okay, this looks like it's working, you can flip the connection string and say, now everything points to the cloud. And you know, if everything is green, you can still keep the other database as a backup for retention, but then that you make the switch so you don't have to do a point in time backup and then, then import it or data migration. But with the replication option, you have two exactly the same setup of databases, one on-prem and one in the cloud. When you for sure know that the cloud one is going to work, you can start switching connection strings and see that users actually can work and then kill access to the old one. Exactly. And often what I do is I might have like a team of people asking that when do we get access to the Azure SQL-based database so that we can test things? I can, I can do the replication against two different Azure SQL. So one for test and one for production. And then I will let the team know that, okay, the test one is up and running. Try it now with your things, your applications and scripts and connections and integrations. And if that's working out, then great. We can switch the real connection strings in the dev environment to the cloud-based one. And even if something fails, I still have the original data. And it goes without saying, but before you do any of these, before you do the DAC file, the data migration assistant, 
export the schema to script, replicate using SQL Server, make a backup. Just right-click backup to whatever local directory to have it there in case you mess up with something. You always have the backup. And I think that's a good suggestion and, and recommendation for anything you do with any service. Ensure you have backups uh, because this is unfortunately a common scenario where yeah, you start fiddling around with something and then you accidentally did a change two weeks back, but you had no idea what kind of impact that would have. Now, two weeks later, you have no idea what you actually did, but you start seeing degradation in system performance or something else. Backups are always a good thing. So even if you don't restore to that point, you can compare to that point in time and see what differs. Exactly. So one last thing on this one. So there's plenty of options for migrating, but sometimes we also resort to spinning up a new VM in Azure, installing SQL Server in there, replicating all settings in there and just running our SQL database with a newer version of SQL Server, but in compatibility mode. So it could be a SQL 2008 database running on SQL 2019, for example. And that gives, that, that gives us as leverage for the future that, okay, now we can breathe and we can actually manage this whole situation with the, with the deprecated services and we can uh, retire the ones we don't need in on-prem anymore. Yeah, and I guess this is a pretty common scenario. A lot of people I talk to who run SQL servers or who used to run SQL servers in the cloud, spin up a VM, install SQL server on-prem edition, if you will, on the VM, and then do whatever you used to do on your own hardware. You just use a virtual machine in the cloud, but then you still maintain all the server and the OS and everything yourself. Exactly. One of the things to note here, and, and I'll, I'll be sure not to go deep into this because it's, it's, it's not something I'm, I'm deeply knowledgeable about, is the licensing. So when you spin up a VM in Azure and you manually install a SQL Server in there, you need a license for it. But since you already have your license tied up to the local on-prem SQL, and that could be a SQL 2008 license, if you then purchase a SQL 2019 license, that's one option, and simply use that in the VM. But there's something called the Azure Hybrid Benefits, benefits that allows you to use your on-prem license to run SQL Server in Azure VM. So if this is something, look into Azure Hybrid Benefits to figure out uh, if you need to purchase a license or how you can leverage any of the SQL Server licenses you already have in on-prem. Yeah, that's a good tip. So is there something else? I think we touched a lot of the, the uh, bird's view of what you might want to think about when you do a migration from any type of on-prem environment to the cloud. And I think what you just described in, in this episode is, is a very good insights for things I need to think about if I need to move some of my databases. So is there something else that we didn't cover or something that I didn't ask that you still want to shine a light on? Um, one thing to consider is always that, that if you try to think outside the box as well, so there's always the option for migrating away from SQL Server. So we might have a legacy database and, and we would kind of need the data, but perhaps not the application anymore. So consider also the, the, the alternatives. Perhaps we use table storage, or perhaps we use Cosmos DB, or perhaps we use Mongo or something else that might better suit us in the future when we travel to Azure with our data. Yeah, that makes sense. So maybe actually we can do a full episode about deciding on the data platform or data service options in, in Azure because 
I've spent a lot of time working with Cosmos, Azure Tables, Mongo, PostgreSQL, a little bit time with Azure SQL, but the options are plenty. And yep. it might be a good idea to break that down and see you know, what kind of use cases would be beneficial to use one or the other. Yeah, definitely. Let, e let, each let's and every one that. of them have their place. Yeah, I, I fully agree on that. And depending on, on the use case as well, there's plenty of more options as well. So uh, we went through Azure SQL or SQL Server migration to Azure SQL, different options, different licenses, and things to consider. And last but definitely not least, we need to learn a bit, bit more Swedish and Finnish. So what's the word of the day in Swedish? So in Swedish, it's actually, I have two words uh, that are the opposites of one another. And one is svinvant, and the other one is svinkalt, where vant means hot and kalt means cold. Svin, which you put in front, means pig. So this is a very strange thing. When you say it's really hot, you say svinvant, it's pig hot. I don't know why, we just do that. When it's really cold, you say svinkalt, so it's pig cold. But to my experience, pigs are neither hot or cold to that extent. So I don't really know why we have that reference. We do though, a uh, bit of a funny thing, but if you hear someone running around saying, oh man, it's svinkalt, they just mean that, wow, it's really cold right now. So when I go hiking in the woods, like I mentioned in the start of the show, and I'm sleeping without a tent in my, uh, yeah, under bare sky, I might be screaming, now it's actually svinkalt because it's probably going to be freezing so so svinkalt is 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 the thing that it's super bloody cold and yep. svinvarnt is the one oh oh it's it's really hot so that doesn't yep. happen that often in the nordics that it's too hot exactly yeah all righty so the finnish word of the day this this is one i i didn't know exists so i, I wanted to to raise this up here so the finnish word is lauluviiva and this is two words Laulu means a song or somebody singing or performing a song. And viva is, is a line, any sort of line. And when you combine this, laulu viva, it becomes a piece of tape, a scotch tape on the floor uh, that you use in kindergarten. So when, when a kid needs to sing, they might get anxiety in singing in front of the uh, of the audience, let's say a Christmas party or something. So they put this piece of tape on the floor, ask the kids to, to, to position yourself next to the line. And it's affectionately called Lauloviva. And apparently this helps to, to kind of win the anxiety and actually enjoy performing. Wow, that's interesting. So Lauloviva yes. is the word. So if, if I ever have stage fright, if I'm speaking or something like this, I put a, a bit of duct tape on the floor and this is my invisible barrier for any external threats hitting me, right? Yeah, it, it kind of positions you in the world. Everything is good. I, I'll just stand next to the line here and all will be good. All right. I like this attitude. This is cool. Yeah. All righty. So this, this was fun talking about Azure SQL and SQL migration. So thank you for this and until next time. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control Alt Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned.